morning. Uh, hey, my name is Mark, and it's good to be uh, here with you. We're starting a brand new series today. It's called 77 Times, and uh, this comes on the heels of a series we started last, uh, started several weeks ago. We completed last week. Um, series, by the way, is like we take a sermon, and we'll do it over multiple weeks. That's what we call a, a series around here. So you're, start, you're here on a good day. This is, this is week one of a brand new one, but we finished last week one about family. It's called the Far From Perfect Family, and we talked about uh, over the last, what, six weeks or so, talked about just the messiness of family, the difficulty that family uh, brings, and we kind of went to the book of Genesis with a lot of just the generations of, of messy stuff with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all that was was caught up in just the craziness of their family, and I think it segues well into today. You know, trust is complicated, right? Trust is complicated. I think grace can be complicated for us. Forgiveness is complicated for us, but we're going to talk about it. So my son Jet is 11, so he's grown up now, right? But he wasn't always a big kid. He used to be this little, well, he's, he's actually still a little bitty dude, but he's older now, right? So, but he didn't have much of a chance. You should see his mom. She's really short. So, <laughs> so Jet's 11. He's mature. He's a sharp kid. He's a smart kid, but you know, he used to be a little kid. He used to be four and five and six and, you know, younger years. And when he was little, in fact, it's still this way. He loves all things cuddly when he sleeps. He wants all the pillow pets and, you know, the squishmallow is, that's this new thing, right? I don't know if it's new, I'm just outdated probably, but uh, he still has like our old school, like pound puppies in his bed with him. I mean, it is old school, right? He likes all things squishy, all things cuddly. Every spare pillow in our house, our house seems to make its way onto Jet's bed, which is all good at nighttime, but, but his mama do not do chaos, like, she is not about chaos. So all these gazillions of stuffed animals and pillows that are there at nighttime for him to cuddle with is great. But during the daytime, she wants no part of that, right? So when he was little, we had this, uh, he, he slept on a loft bed. You know a loft bed? It's like it's a bunk bed with no bottom bunk. It's just a bed that's, you know, up in the air. So uh, he slept on a loft bed and, and out, like, suspended from his bed, suspended from the ceiling was this big know, gunny sack, you know, net thing where all those the stuffed animal friends would live during the daytime when his bed needed to be made and his you know, room needed to look decent. So that's, that's where those things lived, and that way that kept everybody happy. And I don't really know why we did that, because it was like five and a half feet off the ground, so none of us could see up there anyways. But nonetheless, <laughs> that's, that's what we did, because upper management put in a work order with maintenance to hang that thing from the ceiling. So that's what I did. So uh, but he slept up there, and when he was like four or five years old, this was kind of a regular occurrence for him. We didn't make him make his bed every day, but you know, when it needed cleaned up, all those things went into that big hanging net from his ceiling. So one day he's he's in there, and we're just out wherever else in the house we are, and we hear this big boom, right? Followed by the shrill, the one that you know your kids actually hurt, not just they're upset with something or they had a toy taken away. The shrill scream, right? Like he is hurt. So we go darting into his room. Tara goes darting into his room. I finished my cereal. And then I, <laughs> then I slurped up my milk, right? And then I went and changed the, the oil and the mower. And then I met I'm, the dad stuff, right? So we met in Jet's room. We all converged there in his room. And uh, he's on the floor. So clearly he's fallen off. The stuffed animal thing is pulled out of the ceiling. And there's blood all the way down the wall, like starting at this, like, this corner bookshelf deal that he clearly caught on his way down and drugged that blood right down the wall with him. And it's all over his floor. And it's all over his forehead. And he's a mess. And he's a crying mess. And Tara's 
a mess, right, because her baby's hurt. And he has this giant gash in his forehead, and he wants no part of us messing with it, right? I mean, we can't get near this thing. He wants, I mean, he's just screaming, he's just belligerent, and he's a disaster, and he wants no part of us messing with that. So we had to take him to the ER, because we could clearly see this was a, this was a big one. So we took him to the ER, and he gets there, and he gets settled into his room. And guess what? He wants no part of a doctor or a nurse messing with his head either, right? Like he wants zero part of that, but they have to because he needs stitches. So they, 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 they give him a shot in his forehead and make it cringe a little bit, right? They give him a shot in his forehead. And as soon, and like minutes after they put that sword through his skull, he feels pretty okay, right? Then he's feeling a little bit better. He's a little bit calmed down. He's, he started to kind of chill out a little bit until they return a few minutes after that and say, well, now it's time to put stitches in your head. And then He's bonkers again, right? He, like, it feels fine now, but just the anxiety of it, the disaster that has taken place, it's just, it's a mess. And he goes ballistic again because he wants no part of them doing that. And, and here's why, I think. And I think this is true of us in the spiritual. I think it's true of us in the physical. I think it's certainly true of us in the emotional places of our lives. We just don't like people touching our wounds, We just don't. So I recognize I'm stepping into something a little bit messy here today. I get that you know, over the next few weeks as we talk about forgiveness, like part of us wants to go, eh. like we just don't want people getting near the dirty stuff, right? The, the trauma, the disappointments, the hurts. Forgiveness is hard. It can be really, really complicated for us. And we kind of squirm in our seat when we find out we're going to be talking about forgiveness, right? And we think to ourselves, can we talk about anything else? How about, like, man, can we just, it'd be great if we just come to church and talk about money. Can we just talk about my money? Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Forgiveness is complicated because it's so personal and it's, it's so, so close and it's so hard and that's why we have to talk about it, right? So we're gonna spend the next few weeks doing so. Today's just gonna kind of whet our appetite to get into a little bit of this. We won't get too far uh, today, but here goes nothing. We're gonna we're gonna jump into Matthew chapter eighteen um, and starting at verse twenty one. Now I'm gonna be reading from the uh, from the English Standard Version. So if you're looking at a different translation in your Bible, that, that's totally good. We're gonna land at the same place, I promise. Uh, but we'll put these we'll put these texts on the screen behind me. You can swipe to them now, or you can turn to them now. But we're gonna start at Matthew eighteen verse twenty one, and we see this really fascinating exchange, this conversation we're kind of getting in the middle of between Jesus and Peter. And Peter's kind of this loose cannon, right? We've talked about Peter around here before. He's kind of this just this loose cannon of a dude. He has a temper. He's kind of quick to respond. He's kind of that, that ready, fire, aim kind of dude, right? Like we all have those guys in our lives. He's one of the leaders of, of the disciples and he kind of likes that role and he kind of tries to assert himself to sort of be out front and in charge. And he's kind of a, kind of a loose cannon. But we get to jump into the middle of this conversation and it's so, so, so good. So here we go. I'm just gonna dive right on in. Here we go. Verse uh, 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now, I wasn't there, so I'm, I'm doing a little reading between the lines, but it sounds to me, and I could be wrong, but I'm going to interpret it this way. It doesn't even sound like he's trying to be really forgiving. It sounds like he's just trying to suffice, like, how can I get rid of this dude? How can I make whatever's going on just finally, like, stop? How many times does this dude have to get away with this. And he says, uh, excuse me, I just went too far. Boom. He says, uh, 
as many as seven times. Now, before you get too judgy of Peter, right? Like seven times is probably <laughs> seven times more than you've forgiven your brother for the stupid stuff he's done to you, right? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, there's a lot going on uh, here culturally that I just want to take a second to help us understand. The first thing is that the Jewish Talmud, which, which Peter would have been intimately familiar with, only required of you to forgive somebody three times. So when, when Peter said seven times, he's like, I'll double that. I'll even add one. Like he's feeling probably pretty, pretty ultra generous, right? And he's like, hey, Jay, Andrew, watch this. Hey, hey, OJ, hey, Jesus, how about seven times? How's that feel? And Jesus, Jesus says, well, mm, what about like, what about 77 times? And, and now there's some disagreement among like theologians and scholars and different people who've interpreted this. Some, you might've heard seven times, 70 times. You might've heard seven times. Like some of you are doing quick math. It's 490 just for the record, right? The reality is this. He's, he's, he's not really trying to give a specific number. What he's saying is forgiveness has no limits. Forgiveness has no limits. And I try to, I try to put myself in these stories, right? These are interesting stories. I, I mean, I, I just, it, I find it fascinating to try to understand what it might've been like to be there. And it's, you know, it's impossible to really place myself there because, you know, I haven't been there and I can't see this. But, but as I try, I think to myself, like Peter's got a, it, it feels to me like he's str- perhaps struggling between, you know, uh, I'm the victim here. This guy's been doing me wrong all this time. And yeah, but you know, seven times, like, I'm looking for an attaboy from Jesus. I'm actually, I'm actually being pretty awesome here. It feels like he's somewhere in between that. And, and just like Peter, like I'm somebody who's forgiven. Like once and for all, I'm forgiven. Now through the finished work of Christ on the cross, I'm forgiven. Peter is forgiven. Now I, I get that's a little dicey because as Jesus and Peter are having this exchange, this whole finished work of Christ on the cross hasn't happened yet. But I do want you to feel, I do want you to like understand the idea that Peter was definitely forgiven. Like God's redemption plan for all of humanity was well underway. That's why Jesus is here. You follow? Like he's forgiven. He understands what it means to be forgiven. That's why Jesus was there at all. And we, and we know it, like Peter was forgiven and we know that we're forgiven and we, 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 we think, great God, God, like you've forgiven me, that's, that's amazing. But I really hate being taken advantage of. And I do, right? I hate, hate being taken advantage of. So like Peter, it gets me asking, Lord, how many times? How many times do I have to deal with their mess before I can be free of them? How many times is it gonna take? And like Peter... I'm equally willing to let that number be higher than I'm entirely comfortable with. And I'm, frankly, I'm willing to let that number be higher than, you know, your number. But make no mistake about it, Lord. Trust me when I tell you, I'm keeping count. I, like, I, I am keeping count. Whatever that number is, that's what I'm gonna hit. That's my threshold, boom, I'm gonna land there. And Jesus basically answers Peter by saying, dude, if you're keeping count, you ain't forgiving, bro. We don't keep count. And Jesus goes on to tell the story. He finishes that, that answer for Peter. And then he, he dives into the story. It's this parable, right? And parable is a story that Jesus would, would frankly just make up and tell to, to prove a point. He's like, he'd give a scenario. And here's, let's talk about this for a second. So he tells this parable starting at verse 23. And here it is. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 
And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Whew. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, doing what you and I would do if we were in the same situation. You're just going to sell me and my wife and my kid, right? Imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Out of pity for him, the master, the king, of that servant released him and forgave his debt. <sighs> okay. I'm going to park here for, for just a moment. A talent is the highest currency denomination of the Roman Empire. What's our highest dollar bill? Thousand? Anybody ever seen a thousand dollar bill before? I have not. So, I don't know, hundred, but thousand dollar bills. Our highest currency denomination in the Roman Empire for us. So, for, so let's call it a thousand dollar bill. Uh, and then Jesus puts the number 10,000 in front of that because that was, the, that was the highest number for which the Greek language had a word. So 10,000 talents. Now, it was a deliberately unattainable number. It was impossible. It was deliberately unattainable. unattainable. I'm going to translate that for us. A talent, a normal working man made one talent per year. All right? So I looked this up this week, 2023, uh, and some of you are going to have a bone to pick with your boss after I give you this number, and some of you are going to feel great about your, your wage after I say this number. But in 2023, the average annual salary, and listen, we're in Kansas, it's different than it is on the coast. I get that, but it's $58,000 a year. All right? So if we just call it 50 for the sake of easy math, we're talking about a $500 billion debt that he just forgave. A five, let that number sink in, a $500 billion debt. He just forgave. He released him of all liability, of all obligation. He is totally, totally free. How relieving must that have been? But then our story takes a really, really strange left turn. So here we go. I'm going to keep going. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants, one of his coworkers, right, who had owed him 100 denarii, less than $20. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow, servants fell, or fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Sound familiar? Have patience with thee, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, the coworkers saw this, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master, the king, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, it's fascinating to me. Again, I try to put myself in these stories. It's fascinating to me to think about what this must have been like. You just have this servant, right? He had this $500 billion debt, at least in our terms, and this guy totally forgives him of it. And he's begging for it. He's pleading for it. He's like, come on, I will pay you, I promise. And he just totally forgives him. And then he goes to this other guy after he's forgiven for less than $20, right? We're talking like 10 bucks. And says, grabs him by the throat. Hey, you owe me money. Let's pay this, right? It's, it's fascinating to me how, how like crazy he had been, how in your face he had been. And yet when the king says, should you not be merciful to him as I was to you, we don't see any response at all. I mean, I'm not saying there wasn't one, but we don't have insight. 
into one. And I don't know if it's because, you know, he just feels so wrong and he's just still stewing and like boiling from this injustice or, or if it's maybe because he's embarrassed and he realizes he's wrong and he just can't dignify it with any reasonable response at all. So he just stays quiet. Either way, the king throws him into the same debtor's prison until he can repay that debt. A debt he knew he would never, ever, ever be able to pay back. And then Jesus ends this with this, like, frankly, it's kind of a terrifying statement. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Oof. So the story, it, it's this. I'm just to spell it out for you. The king in this story is God. And you and I have an unforgivable debt to pay. We have a difficult time, like taking, at least I do, I have a difficult time taking what God says is true of me and projecting it or like attaching it to somebody else. Like, Lord, yeah, I I get it. Yeah, you've forgiven me. That's great. I'm thankful for that. You've forgiven me of all all kinds of stuff. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm good. I appreciate it. Thank you. But do you know what they did to me? Like, do you know how badly they hurt me? Do you know how many times they said that hurtful thing or did that hurtful thing that attacked me? And Lord, I am just so hurt. And we think, or at least I think, that God's like in heaven, like preparing this theological argument for us. But the reality is he's not. He's actually spoken really, really, really simply to us about this already. Don't you think you should be as merciful to them as I have been to you? Don't you think you should be as forgiving to them as I've been to you? And in our hearts we say, yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. But in our heads we go, yeah, it's close. Yeah, I could I could go either way, right? I could lean either direction. Like it's not quite as easy as you're making it. Like God, like, mm, you forgave me in my circumstances, but like my circumstances feel pretty different than this circumstance. You're asking me now to forgive them. God, that's a little bit different. It's 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 close. I'm not sure. When we see we see the word forgive in this text in the New Testament in the Greek, it it translates uh, from the word aphiemi means to let go or release or to leave behind and move on. So when God's asking you to forgive, there's this cool thing that happens, right? Like we get to move on. We get to be freed of something. We are released of it. And I get it. It doesn't really feel fair to give them grace. (laughs) I mean, they wronged us pretty good, right? It doesn't feel fair to not make them pay for what they put us through. And listen, I don't want to get too... uh, cultural or too like political when I say this because I'm just frankly not that guy but there's this weird troubling trend that I see in our culture where we value outrage to the point of disincentivizing forgiveness we value outrage to the point of disincentivizing forgiveness our culture says if you're not outraged enough you'll probably just end up forgiving them and by golly that won't change anything so we think outrage is like a better response and, and we think, yep, you gotta stay mad. Make them pay. We gotta be outraged about this. That's the only way we're gonna make any progress. And if you're outraged enough, you can actually rub their nose in it and then, then we're getting somewhere, right? Like, but forgiveness, outrage seems better. But shouldn't you have mercy on them the same way the master had mercy on you? And so, so yes, forgiveness, you know, it sets you free, afiemi. Forgiveness sets them free, as we just saw Jesus talk about this, like their, their debt's paid, it's canceled. 
But here's the, like the, the, the big, the one big kahuna, the one big takeaway. If you were gonna write anything down today, if you're gonna remember anything, even like bigger and above and before those two things, which are, which are cool you know, outcomes, is this. Unforgiveness just has no place in the gospel. It just doesn't. Did you know unforgiveness isn't even a word? We kept putting a little red underline thing when I was typing it this week. I was bothered by it, but I kept going with it anyways. It has no place in the gospel. And listen, the Bible is so, so, so profoundly clear that we are not just to be forgiving sometimes, but we are to be people of forgiveness. And if you are a follower of Christ, this is a do not pass go issue. And we face it over and over and over and over because they hurt us over and over and over and over. But the Bible meets our circumstances with a command to forgive over and over and over again. Think about the Lord's Prayer. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but just think about it with me. A lot of us know this, even if we're not real, real church. We've heard this prayer, right? It's our blueprint for daily prayer in our lives. Every single day, we are to be forgiving because we are forgiven. So Jesus says, think about this every single day that you've been forgiven and think about it every single day that you are to forgive and be forgiving. Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, forgive me as I forgive them. They can't be separated. Right after Jesus teaches his disciples that prayer, here's, uh, here's Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. He says this, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But, and don't miss this, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. What? I mean, sometimes Jesus just really radically messes with my theology, right? I thought I was saved by grace and grace alone. It was not by works, right? That no one should boast, Ephesians 2. What, Lord? Like, am I saved or aren't I saved? Am I forgiven or aren't I forgiven? Like, I thought it was just grace. And I think, I think what he's saying here is this. If you can't bring yourself to grapple with forgiving them or the, that group of people, that organization, that church, that political party, that whatever, that person who wronged you, if you can't bring yourself to even just grapple with forgiving them, I think perhaps, Jesus is saying, you're deeply unclear about your Christian faith to the point that you might not even have it. He says, listen, this is so simple. It is so central, not without us controversy, to who you are as a Christ follower that if you can't do it, it's hard for me to imagine that you understand, let alone can even like lay hold of the promises of the gospel. Forgiveness, this is, this is a, I mean, it's a, it's a deal maker for us, right? It's a deal breaker, it's a deal maker for us. Forgiveness is an essential, essential, essential skill for the Christian. It's a biblical command that cuts deep into the heart of what it means to be a Christian. You can't be a Christian and not be a forgiver. So again, this is going to be a three-week series, so I can't cover all of it today, but I do want to just live here for the next few minutes. What, here's where we have to start. What do I do when God tells me to do something and I don't want to? What do I do when God says, this is for your good and I don't believe him? What do I do when God says, hey, I'll meet you in this, but I need you to trust me and I need you to take a step towards it. And you say, nah, I'm good right here. 
what I do, what, what do I do when, it, when it, it feels better to me to be on the outside of the party and away from the Father because at least I'm not, not with them. What do I do? What do I do when it feels like their stuff's just too big? Like, God, you forgave me. That's great. Thank you. But I'm not cool with their stuff. So the question is, it pertains to forgiveness. And I know, listen, I get it, Christ follower. This is not satisfying. But the question as it pertains to forgiveness really has nothing to do with them. It has very little to do with what happened, though I am in no way trying to like marginalize the pain they put you through. It's real. It has everything to do with whether or not you will trust God that forgiveness is a blessing to you has everything to do with whether or not you'll trust God that his ways are good. It has everything to do with whether or not you'll trust that God actually knows best. Whether or not you'll trust God that even if it doesn't work out the way you want, the simple obedience of it, like God is worthy of that. Try this one on for size. It has to do with whether or not you will trust God that healing doesn't come from closure It doesn't come from their apology. It comes from the empty tomb and the worthiness of God himself. It has to do with whether or not you'll trust God, period. Like, I have to believe, like, I want to believe at least, that forgiveness isn't just some therapeutic action that makes me feel better, though it does, but forgiveness makes me right with the Father. That's pretty good motivation for me. Any benefit past your obedience, which again, that's, that's enough for me, but any benefit like past that, you feel better, like you sleep better, you're more calm, you're more peaceful, your gut stops hurting, I don't know, you can come up with whatever you want. Like those are all just added benefits to simply being able to worship your savior. And your forgiveness of them might be the greatest worship you can give God right now. And unforgiveness, I think, I think means one of two things means you just don't fully understand the implications of the gospel and that it's not about you. It's for you. It's not about you. It's for you. And listen, that's okay. If that's where you're at, like, welcome to Grace Point. We're glad you're here. We'd love to continue to walk with you in that. It's complicated. It's difficult. And we're all trying to find our way through that. Or two, it's that you do understand the gospel, but you've decided, and I don't know why, and maybe you haven't made a conscious decision, but it's kind of leading you here. Uh, You've decided to let bitterness and resentment and ultimately disobedience win. How's that working out? Either way, we want something different for you today. On the uh, on display at the St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin hangs an ancient door with a hole right in the middle of it. The story is known as this door is known as the Door of Reconciliation, and the story goes like this: It dates back to 1492. Yes, that's when Columbus sailed the ocean blue. When uh, when two feuding families, the Butlers of Ormond and the Fitzgeralds of Kildare, were engaged in a bloody battle. Sensing their impending defeat, the butlers fled and sought sanctuary in the St. Patrick's Cathedral chapter house. The Fitzgeralds pursued them onto the church's ground, but upon approaching the door of the house that protected their adversaries, they decided it was time to propose a truce. Too much blood had been shed and the feud needed to be dissolved. So calling through the door, the head of the Fitzgerald family, Gerald, Gerald Fitzgerald, right? He offered, uh, he yelled right through the door, offering safe passage to Dublin for his foes. He yells right through the door, hey, we're good. 
Can we just put an end to this? Let's just, like, this is silly. Enough blood's been shed. Can we just have a truce? And they refused his offer because they thought it was a trap. So to prove his sincerity, Gerald had his men take their swords and cut a hole right in the middle of the door. And he went like this. I mean, he couldn't see through. He offered his hand right through the hole of that door, having no idea what awaited him on the other side. Was he going to get his hand back? Right? He had no clue whatsoever what awaited him. But convinced by his gesture, the butler clan leader shook his hand and they left in peace. And just like that, the feud was totally over. It's where we get the term to chance one's arm. It means to risk something. Listen, forgiveness costs you something. I get it. It does. It costs you something. You don't know what their response will be. Or, or this one. I hate this one, right? Perhaps the optics might look like I'm condoning their behavior. Forgiveness costs something. But unforgiveness costs more because you just can't be right with the Father with an unforgiving heart. Bit of a reach, I know, right? Doesn't this look kind of familiar, kind of look like a little bit similar to this, which is what God did for us through Jesus. And he raised us up with Christ to be seated with him in the heavenly realms. He chose to forgive us and he didn't know what our... Frankly, that's not even true. He knew some of us would reject him. He knew some of us would totally reject him. He knew what awaited his son, but that's what he did. And it's what we're supposed to do. We have to do our part. We have to be vulnerable with God, and we have to let him near that wound that we've been protecting with everything we got. You know why? Because he can heal it. He can heal it. I put my hand through that door, not because I trust him, but because I trust him. I, I put my hand through that door because I obey God, I put my hand through that door because I worship him, because he is worthy of it. And this is what he commands us to do, Christ followers, regardless of what happens on the other side of that door. Father, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you, God, that you put your whole self through that door for us. I mean, you didn't stop at a hand. You, you, Jesus' whole body was mangled and beaten and brutalized because we rejected you. But Lord, you demonstrated for us what love was. You demonstrated for us what forgiveness is and then you called us to it. So here we are desiring God to be obedient to you and to be obedient to your word. So help us to be forgivers today and every day. And as we're thinking right now, there's people in our lives who have harmed us, who have wronged us, as we, we, have, we have people in our minds. And I pray that you'd give us the courage to be obedient to your word today and to pursue them with peace. We put that hand through that door because we trust you today. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
Forgive me, Lord. Deliver us from evil. Forgive us. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory as we've already sung this morning forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll, we'll jump back into part two next week. Have a good one.